And and we're here. We are back recording another it's episode. It's a fairly queer podcast. We're here. Yay! We're queer and we are ready to get into yet another deep dive. I think it's related to the last episode. But before we do that, I am going to make a heart-centered appeal to everyone who knows anyone in the western states of uh, Washington, Portland, Idaho, Utah, um, the surrounding areas, the Pacific Northwest, and the the near western United States. Alaska and I are going on our uh, last scheduled uh, Amethyst tour for this calendar year. It is being presented by Five Senses Reeling. I would so love to have a wonderful community turnout. Um, if you have questions, concerns, please let me know. If there's something, if there's a reason that that you haven't gotten a ticket yet, or you're worried about the expense, or these are all things because I do not, uh, I do not give a whole lot of figs of about. Uh, well, actually, I should turn that around and say I get I care a whole lot about making things available. So because I do, I would love to know if you're coming, where you're coming, and um, what you're interested in seeing for these shows we have. So please find 5sensesreeling.com. That's the number, 5sensesreeling.com. Uh, they have the event rights for each of the shows. And please let me know via the social media outfits if you are coming. So thank you, Sam, for letting me give that Insta yeah. plug. And Time now, is running out, Tootsies. You better get your tickets now. I know. I know. Please. I want to see you with the show. So, Sam, we're going to get right into this smorgasbord of um, what I have, uh, what we were just talking about before recording is that like the queer perspectives on activism sam and this is very exciting and very important in the climate that we are in socially and politically things just feel like they're turning up and heating up so sam why don't you uh give me some of your opening opening uh thoughts on uh how act how you've seen and uh been involved in activism in your life uh sure do you want just like a brief a brief history of my activism experience yeah that sounds great i mean let's hear about what what things you've been called to do what you felt you needed to do and like where your general um what's what's your act what are your activistic arenas as jeremy would say i'm gonna lay this out to you like a fairy tale so here we go. So I would say my start in activism started in high school. I was a sophomore. That comes after freshman, right? It's been yes. so long. Um, and it was around when the Iraq war was going on. And I didn't want to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, which to me, didn't seem like a big deal. I just didn't didn't sit right with me. So I didn't. And my school insisted that I, I do. And it 
became a whole big thing. I got the ACLU involved. Needless to say, I did not have to do that. I did not have to stand. I was allowed to sit for it, and it got a lot of local media coverage. And at that point, everyone knew who I was in the school. Like, I was infamous. So it sort of wedged me into politics. Whether I mean, I wanted to, but whether I wanted to or not, everyone knew me in this very politically charged arena very quickly. So I decided to capitalize on it. I Not like monetarily, but, you know, I had an opportunity to make some change happen. And I uh, started uh, a couple clubs in high school in uh, regards to student activism. When I was a junior, I started my school's first GSA. That's a Gay Straight Alliance. Uh, really quick, I do actually want to give a shout out to Nazareth Area High School GSA. Uh, if anyone is listening from there, super proud of you guys. When I started the GSA at my school, there was like three, it was uh, me and my friend Jen. We started the club together. And by the time we graduated in our senior year, we had like, I don't know, less than five members. Now the GSA at Nazareth Area High School is the biggest club in the school. Isn't that great? That's awesome, Sam. Amazing. I'm so proud. Um, and I'm glad that I was able to sow the seeds for that to happen. So that's what I did in high school. Uh, I moved to New York and I became heavily involved in Occupy Wall Street. When that was going on, I was one of the first people to occupy Zuccotti Park. Uh, me and my friend Briar were pretty instrumental in creating the People's Library there. Essentially. Wow. Books yeah. Are you familiar, Jeremy? I am. That's very, that's were historically you, significant, Sam. Were you, did you visit any of the Occupies around the country? No, I was just, I was eyeballs deep in graduate school. Mm, but okay. I had friends, you know, I had very friends who were very, very involved. That's really super, I don't, super historically significant. I don't know if people remember this because the job market has shifted so dramatically. You know, now there's a really low unemployment but back then, it was incredibly difficult to get any job. So that was really a big catalyst to me joining that movement is that I just couldn't find work in any fields that I was interested in. So I decided to go and do some activism with Occupy Wall Street. So, of course, I did that for a while. Unfortunately, there was a pretty widely coordinated raid on a lot of the major parks throughout the country all at the same time. Um, mm. And that sort of diminished Occupy Wall Street. But I will say this, with all that happened within that movement, I definitely think it shifted the narrative in the country. I don't think that people were talking about income inequality in the way that they do today without what happened with Occupy Wall Street. So yeah, there's some... Um, some key factors that definitely started out my interest and my uh, my involvement in activism. And I should mention, too, that, uh, of course, GSA is definitely more overtly queer, but Occupy Wall Street and all of the things that branched off that were also quite queer. It was had a really uh, large queer... Uh, base to it uh, in terms of the organizers as well. So how about you, Jeremy? Wow, Sam. Well, um, there was a point where I, uh, in like around 2014, 2015, 
where um, this is going to be fun because this gets into some uh, wild, uh, wildly uh, sensitive, but also really fascinating ways that activism is not. Activism has so many faces and so many um, inroads. So I was um, living in L.A. It was after I had begun traveling, but wasn't traveling a whole, whole lot. So it was. 2014, 2015, that I got involved with the human rights organization, was helping them write and do some research for the opening of their organization. And then this is a, a, a very baby organization, but it had a number of roots in activism about um, uh, debt, um, financial debt, and housing issues, and um, these were these were people who had been intimately involved in um, uh, some of the some of the issues involving uh, the Federal Reserve. And so, you know, there's all all sorts of wild and crazy things about um, governments, their actual status, and and the way that global court systems are not at, they um they also serve as a sort of uh they can serve as clandestine uh facades for a lot of elite unethical activity so i did not get super involved in anything but kind of providing information and doing research and helping them put their website up but this um group which i'm still very proud of is called the um T and J, the International Tribunal for Natural Justice. And these are, I got to like talk and hear stories from international activists dealing with human rights, dealing with human trafficking, dealing um, with ecological issues. Um, so it really kind of, it really kind of like was very heady and kind of overwhelming, but I thought I'd never been involved in anything so both properly activistic because these people were also kind of like woo-woo witchy people. They like had had some very strange experiences dealing with debt and dealing with uh, debt laws and the court system and how the court system seems to racket um, uh, and keep the certain coffers filled around the world. So I'm, I, talked with people from South Africa and Australia. These are barristers from the UK who had kind of gone rogue and are working for human rights issues and environmental rights. And so it was very overwhelming for me, but for the bit of the time that I was involved with it and that I could, and I felt I could help in the best way possible in the way that they needed, I did. They still exist. You can see what kind of they're trying to do. And they're trying to reform global judicial inquiry so that it doesn't get all tangled and dissipated in some of the world's um, uh, uh, judicial systems. So that's most of my experience. I have also um, done calls for certain California propositions when I was in graduate school at UCLA, I used to be involved with certain election, making calls for elections 
I probably like 2008, 2010 when I was in the thick of grad school. So I've had my ins and outs with activism. But I, again, Sam, the exciting project I want us to explore, at least to a certain extent, is like how easy activism can be and how things that we don't necessarily think are activism are very, very activistic because they make they make a difference in the way that we want to have changes made. So that's right. That's like my gigger on activism. activism. Yeah. Yeah. Like I recently put up a uh, Facebook live about like your activism is where your pocketbook is. As long as you have a certain amount of money and you are, and you believe in a certain sort of uh, if you want uh, better food and better water. There are ways that to put your money where your activism is. And so that's just like a very encouraging way. Like, you know, like if you get to know the farms that you get food from, if you go local with your food, if you tend to stay with uh, organic and, and non-GMO and you're giving these people your money, you're saying, yes, I want your your excellent food and I want you to stay in business and I want you to keep on trying to help the ecological situation and keep my health in better balance so that I'm not uh, paying the pharmaceutical companies and the and the aspects of the medical industry that you don't want to be a part of. So yeah. that's just that's just one example of how like just something as simple as spending a couple more bucks on uh, on and spending some research time on the food items you want to pick and the food businesses you want to support. That's a really big and everyday way of putting your pocketbook in, uh, putting your pocketbook in an activistic state. Yeah. Being a conscious consumer is definitely really important. Uh, I talk about everyday activism often, and it's really just the idea that you are living by the uh, ethics and sustainable uh, well, that you, you're, you're living that with you're living su- that you're living sustainably that you're being aware that you're being a conscious consumer uh you're doing the things in which you would like to see become mainstays uh yeah. it's very easy to say that these things should be happening and that we you know should be recycling or we should be eating less meat or we should be putting out uh, having a smaller carbon footprint but actually Putting your money where your mouth is is a totally another story, you know. Yeah. Have I forgotten about whether you're vegetarian or not? Sam? I am a vegetarian. Yeah, and you're uh, you're among Jeremy. Here's a good plan. here's a joke. How can yeah. you tell if someone's a vegetarian? I don't know, Sam. How can you tell? Don't worry, they'll remind you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm surrounded by a number of activistic vegetarians and some vegans was like yeah i and the wonderful thing is some of us is like i'm not angry about people who eat meat it's just like i want to do my part in not supporting a global beef industry industrial beef industry that is part of ecological destruction and and the 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 unethical treatment of animals like it it's you know i hate to bring up a certain c word because it it can be kind of a triggering a triggering word it's a born it is it it was a it's um it's a term uh made by two 
by a couple brought into the world in the middle of the 1800s, a couple of Ger German-speaking philosopher, political scientists, you know what I mean? Kind of like... You lost kind of, me. Oh, sorry, Sam. Okay. No, it is the the the, the Marxist and beyond the, the word oh, is communism. capitalism. Oh. Capitalism. <laughs> capitalism. capitalism. That's the one. Yeah, that thing. Okay. And, and like, you know, there's like some of of us have been fortunate enough to have a uh, a, a post high school education, mm -hmm. and there are sort of weird academical mainstreams. So of course, one is kind of being fairly anti-capitalist or fairly neoliberal, and all these terminologies with extra prefixes and extra suffixes, and these things get spread around. And when uh, collegiate folk and and or just well-read folks and curious folks and um, aware folks are going through these multi-generational bibliographies. That's one of the ways that activism grows, but also can become very overwhelming and very factionalized. It's so I think that like off the start, it's important to like kind of understand how we get into activism and our attitudes in it and around it. It's interesting though that you mention education because I think that's really the crux of a lot of, of people's ability to become involved to a certain extent. When I was doing Occupy Wall Street, one of the things that drew me to working with the library so much is because there were so many different factions representing so many different things and different interests within that movement. And really, for me, the thing that was the clearest and most concise was giving people the freedom of information so that they could become activated with yes. the knowledge that was free to them. And living in Kentucky now, and I'm not just saying I have no personal experience with the Kentucky school system, but I have heard stories. And, you know, whenever I mention to someone that, uh, or I'm having a conversation with someone, they often say, oh, you you're from the East Coast, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, how do you know? I was like, because you've clearly had an East Coast education. And granted, my high school experience wasn't very good, but from what I've heard, there's a lot of school districts that aren't doing a very good job in the South teaching the students what they need to know, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. And I agree with you, Sam. Like, both as a queer person and as someone who loves knowledge and someone who, and, uh, and as a witch who says like information is neutral only by our experience, do we get certain feelings or we get triggered or we get activated by information that we come across. And we also live in this internet world of an absolute hyper saturation of information, disinformation, misinformation, this quote from this person is meant to undermine this quote from this person. And you know what? We've had that in books for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. So the written information and the information on the interwebs that we roll through, we, it is so important to have a, um, a lens. Because if you say a critical thing, people use criticism as a remark of saying, oh, well, I know better than you, right? When people, when you call someone critical, you're often saying they're too judgmental or you saying that they're nitpickety. And that, that gets in the way of saying we need to have information source awareness. 
Yeah. Right. I like information source awareness. And also getting information from several different sources. Exactly. Because even though I don't like how, how, um, how fundamentalists and a fair amount of conservatives, uh, make their decisions and what they think about other people. I'm also a unique person and I don't, I try not to categorize myself in any, in any one of those factions besides that I care about the elevation of, of the earth and the health of the earth and the health of humans, as many humans as, as wish and desire to make the earth and our relationships with one another better. And so because of that, I've been known to parlay with people who wouldn't necessarily parlay with some of my friends. I have very liberal and very neoliberal friends. I have some radicals and anarchists and progressives and conservatives and libertarians and all these Ooh. labels. It is kind of crazy, but I, 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 I also am kind of solitary. So I'm not always deeply engaged with uh, groups that call themselves by any of those labels. I kind of go by a person to person thing. I was just saying to my friend Aaron that like, yeah, I believe that it is a measure of adult growth that we stop labeling people and start getting to know them person to person and have an intuition about the best way to connect. So that's a human issue, but it's also about the surprising way that activism happens. Sam, mm -hmm. you know, like we get into a certain group and then suddenly we find ourselves swept up in something we truly believe in because yeah. we believe in the people and we and we trust that the stories of their challenges and their struggles and the suppression and oppression of peoples and the betterment of of humanity and society and the earth is at stake. That sweeping motion that you're referring to is is really a good way of putting it because a lot of these larger activations happen with you know like with occupy wall street for example i wouldn't have gotten involved with that had it not had some seeds planted already and there was interest and there was a bunch of other people whom i connected to and i feel like having those groups of people where you do have commonality in your ethics and your political motivations uh really helps continue uh yourself on that path and motivates you to move forward. No one wants to be an activist for themselves. Well, I mean, at least I don't, you know what I mean? It's like you're doing it for the good of the group and seeing those people and feeling those people and working with those people as your peers is really important to uh, successful activism. Yes. Um, my I do have, note, I yes. have a, a quick question for you though, because you did sure. mention, um, sort of the internet and misinformation and yeah. one of the things that uh we've have often been known to rag on the internet on this podcast i believe we had a entire first half of an episode dedicated to it and i would like uh your input on how to navigate from actual real activism that can motivate real change and sharing some post on Facebook because of, I don't know. Yeah, and, you know, while I would diplomatically say that some people, they have to they have to do baby steps in order not to feel overwhelmed, 
I also think that when we all agree that it's a step up and, and super, super person and put ourselves into a, a non-gender specific, when it's time to, to find the heroic mode in ourselves, um, then that stuff, then we're ready to graduate from, from those, from all those sharing, sharing and forwarding kind of acts. Sometimes that is the best someone will do on, on Facebook. And, and if, and if, um, it's up to us to know whether we get entangled with the, with the minutiae of the comments and the arguments about whether, Oh, that's the worst thing. That to do. That's from why a, I deleted right. Facebook from my phone. It's just a yeah. uh, rat's nest of being triggered by someone posting some stupid bullshit and then feeling the need to comment. Yeah, really does no one any good. Yeah, but also like, um, I've gotten, I got, I've gotten some. Well, that's inaccurate information, and and honestly, some of those people, I don't trust their background because they're highly connected to say like the ivy league circuit and sorry but like i i think those are such deeply entrenched institutions that um i don't necessarily know how to trust my ivy league friends sometimes maybe they haven't been part of the deep the deep dives and the deep global networks and the movers and shakers right Mm -hmm. um i will i will fully confess that uh, I have been watching, I have finished watching the first um, uh, season of The Politician on Netflix. We just mm-hmm. gobbled it up in a couple of days. There's only eight episodes. And it gave me a lot of food for thought because I don't watch a lot of television and I tend to be sensitive to how like the the tolerance level for certain kinds of tones and speech and kinds of interactions between have people happen on television you know television gives a lot of um young people permission to imitate um things that can be really gross uh, you know so i'll just go as far as to say that because it's about a young person who has political aspirations it goes in really deep really quick about the kind of tones and and twists and turns in the chess game of politics so that's just going to say that like i've had my experience i've gone down certain rabbit holes that i that i do hold a certain line of political and economic um skepticism right i i right you know like like i don't want to be cynical about my about my friends who have had the privilege and opportunity to go to fancy I fancy do and I want to be cynical about this uh, I know Sam I know Sam but cynicism, cynicism is a is a troubling cynicism is a troubling place to be because it you don't necessarily find find a way out I mean there, there are there are there's a whole history of people who have moved and changed um, history from from these fancy and highly influential academic institutions that have done good, human rights abolitionists, um, uh, uh, people who have changed uh, constitutions and the laws of their lands so that people do have more um, 
legal uh, legal footing in the judicial system. So that's the well, reality of history, point, actually, which is that people that are in those positions of privilege off that are sympathetic to the plights of people that are not in a position of privilege often have more leverage to change things. Yeah. But that is also, that's a good point, and I think that's a good segue, Sam. Yeah. Um, one of my biggest activistic positions is that we, the hu- humanity has been highly psychologically programmed to, for top-down change. And I think these, these conceptions are, are deconstructing and starting to crumble, and I'm very happy for that because... Being a queer person and a, a non-traditional or a, well, I don't want it, um, a gender-expanded queer person, um, I've never quite believed ever in top-down. Top-down is deep. I just want to try to make it very, very, um, very sharp, but very concise. We're programmed for top-down because of, per, of our parents. Yeah. They they are above us. We we trust them, and then when the trust breaks down, there's all sorts of uh, revolutions in our family and tribes, our familial units, um, and then uh, there's always the tug of war of who to trust. People who are in positions of of power and authority are also humans. Right. And then we have the stories of how this works on a political and economic system and that there's and that our trust is regularly being betrayed. And how deep this goes into um, the religious influence between uh, economic and political uh, systems so that our spirits and our minds and our emotions are constantly navigating finding and losing trust. And that's a fundamental human thing. That's a fundamental human thing. The, the, and it gets kind of, it gets pretty spiritual and then it gets Oops, hard sorry, to I maybe like, oh no, it's okay. But it, it really, it is. It's a, it's a super big mic drop that how are we to go about <laughs> global, uh, global, uh, the global level of human rights for our, our siblings and other continents that are not living in a way that we would wish anyone else to live. But it's so overwhelming that like the brick by brick way of disassembling what we think has to be activism and like finding the truth about things that we are passionate about that we can creatively and persistently endeavor to create a better world where our individual lives and the lives of others are being uplifted at whatever level, you know? So like, just because I'm not working in human trafficking right now, doesn't mean I don't want to be deeply involved at some point, you know? What? And the activism again. again. Oh, okay. The, the, the activism. Maybe you need to clarify that to our listeners yeah, real quick. Yeah, that's just because I haven't been involved in uh, the forces to re- <laughs> to remove human trafficking that's from the global I'm not equation. In human trafficking right now doesn't mean I haven't thought of it. Oh my God, Sam! Oh, the, that! Oh my goodness gracious! I think well, on that. Thanks, Sam. Take a 
short well, break. Right. And we'll be yeah, right back. That, okay, yeah. Okay, we'll be right back, everyone. That's funny. I know. And we're back. Uh, I hope you've had a refreshing natural beverage of some sort. Whatever have, it is that helps you. tea. That sounds wonderfully refreshing and also very nurturing, it's very, Sam. I'm glad you're nurturing yourself. Yes. So for this second and final section, I was telling Sam um, that I think it's important that all of us who are queer, queer-loving, queer-adjacent, however we, we wish to join ourselves in the greater Cosmic Rainbow community, that we realize that um, the... LGBTQIA, XYZ, plus, plus, plus community has depended on activism for where we are today. One of, one of my most um, passionate interests is um, bringing awareness and perspective about the global issue of human rights as it has to do with gender expression and um, being able to be with and be supported by those we love. We know that there are scenarios in um, Russia in, in basically what is traditionally considered the third world, that as people are, are finding, um, finding anything that they can and that um, as other humanitarians are, are um, bringing information about um, the LGBTQIA++++ um, community that we are hearing of just terrible human rights violations and that Mm -hmm. the queer community has always had to be in one way or another uh, vigilant and activistic about our lives, those, uh, those we love, and that it's kind of always, kind of always been this way. Because I know we we will we I like to touch and go on what I call queer history, Sam. Because I'm also passionate about bringing queer history to people. So this is a super plug. If anyone would ever like a queer cultural history or queer anthropology uh, seminar or online course, we'll have it on our OnlyFans page. Oh my God, that would be so cool, Sam. This is the idea idea coming right right now. We are we are brainstorming right in the live. Uh, that I want to bring this to you. And you can support me um, by bringing your ideas. Talking about what we were talking about last week, that's a WoW Presents program waiting to happen. Queer History with Jeremy. Oh, I know, but, well, we'll see about that. I think that should We'll see about that now that they know a little bit of (laughs) what I think about them. But honestly, I could say, like, I saw a couple of folks I know who are associated with World of Wonder on Saturday night. And we were smiley and cordial, and I have no ill will towards those individuals. And um, I, you know, I think there's a, a way where we uh, we're part can. of queer history right now. We are. You know, we're part the of the things it. that are happening in the present with yes. all of these people that we're talking about, including, to an extent, a small extent, ourselves with our fabulous podcast. You know. Part of it's queer true. history, or a small yes. grain of sand in the desert of queer history. In the the sands, in the sands of queer time. 
in the sands of queer time on the break yes. we were just talking about prince of persia yes. which is one of my favorite video games and how i <laughs> long to look like the prince from the the games and i'm really been booking it to the gym these days anyway sorry terrible Anyways, moving the segue back to you know the queer community um along with our siblings in the feminist movements and in in the human rights issues of those of ethnic minorities that we have we have long collaborated we have long collaborated um ancient queer people i'm talking about hundreds and even thousands of years ago those of us who were who were not going to procreate or um be uh monogamous with our partners we had many roles and many supportive roles for the procreating women identified ancestors we, we were bridges we helped we brought perspective um and we also were magical people gender variant people were were witch doctors and healers and we still are today and it's wonderful to have like bring those ancient perspectives in our own way back to the present that we are help the truth be told as shamans and now as drag queens drag mm-hmm. queens if you're not an activist i don't know if you're doing drag i can't if you're not doing activism, activism you're not you're doing not doing a drag, drag. right like you like if you don't have a i mean a, a blessed world of wonder for for all they've done over the past 10 years but also like a, make sure we have drag activists on drag activist. race pardon sorry um while we're on the topic real quick do you think that drag is intrinsically activist do you think yeah because i think the it's act of doing drag is activism yeah i think it is because i think it's intrinsic intrinsically shamanistic and magical whether you focus on performance and use activism or performance or you just use getting dressed up as a form of community service and activism like the like the sisters of perpetual indulgence and other They're everywhere other exactly they were and they, they were sisters of perpetual indulgence in the shelbyville this shelbyville kentucky the shelbyville yeah. gay pride festival so that's what i mean there's wonderful ways to like embody embody one's queerness with certain activistic activities and so i'm sh- sure that that many of our ancestors um, of all genders and various expressions, especially in the times where we were closeted, our queer ancestors were helping, um, were part of abolition movements and part of the suff- the, the suffrage and, and voting movement, uh, movements to increase democracy and increase voices being heard and perspectives of others lives being heard and then as a result of experiences being known that we can elevate humanity and elevate our siblings who have been previously suppressed and oppressed uh, you know uh, but i i also think it's important to me that my my personal editorial is that as as a witch i do believe that there are people who don't care to do this, who are very, there are self-centered souls out there and, 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 and 
dark hats and black hats whose role is to be a challenger. So uh, uh, do I think there's going to be, do I believe in total peace and love? I think it's something that has to start from the inside out. I'm not um, naive in that way, but I believe the adventure is working through the challenges and knowing for each one of us individually how we activate on earth to create the change that we are passionate about. And you see, I'm not espousing, but I, I think I make my own perspective fairly clear, mm -hmm. you know, so that like there's a role for everyone. This is really what I believe. I believe that there's a role for someone and if we're, and if we're challenging someone to, to become a better soul, or to be uh, to be truthful, or to support each other in the communities that we've created, then yeah, yeah, that's activistic, and I fully feel like an activist in that sense. So I again, I just want to be creative but supportive about the actions we can take that have been taken for countless generations. So I have a question for you, which might be a bit of a controversial question. I do not shy away from controversy, Sam. Pew, pew, pew. Controversy. So one of the things that I actually recall talking to my friend Briar about when I was involved in Occupy Wall Street was this, I, this dichotomy between like being outwardly queer presenting for lack of a better term, and yeah. being pa being palatable so that people would listen to us. Ooh. Do you think, like, what do you think of that? Do you think they're mutually exclusive? Do you think it's it's not necessary to be palatable for other people to listen to you? Like, do, or or can those worlds coexist? Well, I think... like the 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 different or the um the relationship between uh, being genuine and real and being uh, pragmatic. Right. So I think what it, what it comes down to, again, so I, I, while it's controversial, is I believe that each person has, has what they know to be truthful. If we're going to be a bodhisattva of gender expression and the expression of someone's truth, if, if they think it's important that they are personally pushing the boundaries both for themselves and to create safe space for others. I support that. Like, I will be very, very honest. I wish I could, uh, and maybe it is just really the state of like how unsafe I feel going outside of a, outside of a certain gender expression. Some of us still camouflage. Like some of us who are gender expansive, gender kaleidoscopic, like we have to, like, am I going to just totally go out, out with like eyeliner and eyeshadow and a, and a lip color and a long tunic every day in every part of the world? No, because I don't feel safe. But I think that finding the places where, where the intention and the um, energy that we hold can be activistic and we're creating safe space. We just have, there's a whole spectrum of what's of like, so that I'm not doing that because even though that's how I would prefer to express myself, am I not doing enough? 
there's always going to be someone says I'm not who says I'm not doing enough, and I'm too much of an adult to care about too much of what they think. I can't think about that, or I just hole up, you know. So I think as the part of act activism, as in any sort of movement and personal development, is intentionality. I need to it like going out on Fire Island to Cherry Grove and. Uh-huh. And gender variant garb felt fairly activistic because there's especially a lot especially of... with all those circuit queens and right going queens. right going out to pines and gender variant things and if you're not some sort of fancy uh fancy fancy gym bunny with a full bank account yeah that's pretty activistic it's a slightly activistic to do it at Cherry Grove. You know, it's just a strange thing that's like, I'm privileged enough to be able to make all the, the, to make my way out there and have a place to stay and to spend too much money on alcohol. The least I'm going to do is not, not hide how I love to express myself. But the thing is, because I am gender variant, I like the variance in, in working with the different proportions of masculine and feminine. So I, I think it's just a difficult question. Some people, some people at any age try too hard to be something they're not. And they claim they're being activistic and it's not their truth. So if on both sides, like we could beat each other over the head by calling out each other's lack of authenticity. But if we, if we are learning how to navigate and to just mostly take care of ourselves and not want everything to be some sort of magical TV scripted um, diversity thing if it's not um, if it's not coming from our hearts like that's difficult that's difficult and not everyone is going to agree with that perspective but I think when it when it comes from a place of wanting to connect in our community then people can be outlandish you know some people feel very uncomfortable with the leather people or or the body mutilation people and it's I feel not very uncomfortable with the leather people could no. you could you want more of it on your body because you are a artisan <laughs> of leather goods Sam mm-hmm. as the proprietor of uh, Ramshine Ramshine.com yeah I'm very proud of your uh, of your sexy um, boundary pushing collab I mean do you think you're your your actual leather artisanry is a form of activism. Mm, no. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I that's don't. It. Some, uh, there's some uh, other artisan who c- could really have an art, uh, an activistic intention behind it. So yeah. that's kind of well. I do. I think that. I think that. I think that. So um, a lot of the colorings that I use for I specifically chose red, blue, and black for my initial launch because those I thought would be the most direct representation of the hanky codes, which in case our listeners don't know what that is, which I'd be, I'd be surprised if any of our listeners did not, but I will say it quickly back in the day, gay history. Yes. Gay men used handkerchiefs uh, on either their left or right arm to indicate what they were sexually into. Yes. So I wanted to integrate that into the colors of kind my, of, of my and erotic. 
Yeah, what kind uh, of intimate and erotic activity? So there is some allusions to some uh, queer history within my my pieces. Yeah, and of course, like the history of um, the of, of of sexual consensual sexual mm-hmm. acts being tolerated and given a safe space, and also. Um, being very clear about consent culture again between between queers and feminists and and um, other ethnic and cultural minorities, we are all pieces of the puzzle. So that the people who have who have intergeneral intergenerationally banned that's a long word. Ooh. Say historically right and ancestrally have been the purveyors of this bullshit patriarchal non-consensual abusive oppressive system we are undermining it by us all coming together sharing our our experiences our struggles our challenges our information and our triumphs so that we are creating safe space for people to live fuller lives from the food that we eat to the company we keep to the way that we can work uh, safely in our work environments, the way that we are not um, profiled just because of our, our, our outer appearances and our outer expression. Yes. I think that's a good way to kind of uh, seal the cask for this episode, don't mm-hmm. you, Sam? Do you have any final thoughts on uh, encouraging no, I, our I, listeners? I, I, have, I have one final topic that I'd like to delve into real quickly. Uh, yeah. But first, I, I want to agree. I do definitely think that queer activism or uh, being queer openly and publicly is a form of activism in itself, but that should also not diminish the value of more organized activism, which I also think is extremely important. There should be both. There should be organized activism. We're hitting the streets. You know, there was climate March recently, which I thought was great. Uh, And then of course, just living your life, living your best life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, living, living your authentic truth openly should never become a past fad. I did want to we... slip in something, though, that's slightly more Ooh. negative and get your nuanced perspective on this real oh. quick, though, and hopefully we won't go over time, because you're talking about, like, this sort of patriarchal uh, uh, archetype that we have, that uh, queerness has it challenges, Yes. Which is great and is definitely a form of gayness. Gayness well, now arguably yeah. doesn't challenge it, but, but queerness you, historically uh, has. What do you think of people that are members of the LGBT community that, I mean, not personally, but just the idea of some people in the LGBT community that, that might be buying into this uh, more patriarchal version of how society functions and how they function within society because it's uh, a version of status? Yeah. Because certainly there are people like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to put in, I'm going to brush with some bold strokes because I think not only is that an important way uh, to keep the conversation going, but like I, uh, there's perspective and then there's my experience. Like my experience is that I, I, I do have, I do have sort of, I have gender conforming friends, have people have friends who openly say how nervous or how or how unready they are to like make further further moves and not everyone identifies 
as queer. And I think that being called, I mean, being like part of the conversation and the debate about the term gay and lesbian is that um, there's ongoing debates about it, a sort of uh, about a core of mainstreaming there that just because you're gay or lesbian doesn't mean you're necessarily activist or care about your siblings. Yeah. So, you know, we were, we were kind of doing that just because you're queer. Don't mean you're de- dear. I'm just, I swear you know, to God, I'm making that into a t-shirt. It's happening. I know. We're going to make that for our, our podcast. Because maybe when we hit, like maybe every... when we hit a thousand downloads, which will not be for a while, but maybe or when we hit a thousand. Or it could be if it gets controversial. Well, you never know. Um, yeah. But maybe when we hit a thousand downloads, I will make one of those t-shirts and send it to uh, one lucky viewer. You can, Ooh, hold, you can hold me to that. I'd I'll be do happy it. To, I'd be happy to do that. I'd be happy to send our um, our uh, deep our deep podcast partners, our our our, su- our super supporters. It's not a real podcast without merch. I, so. I guess not. But then again, I'm not that capitalistic. I want community, but I also know people like to have their talismans they like to have their physical yeah. uh, uh, paraphernalia and so i'm i'm okay with that it's so but, um when we hit a thousand i'll make yeah. the, the t-shirt yeah and but i, I mean i welcome i welcome um respectful three deep breaths before you react to these comments yeah. be- because like again i'll just say that there are betrayers in all communities the betrayers of white male patriarchal abuse there have been wonderful white cis het males that have great compassion in their hearts and there can be sociopathic queers and sociopathic psychopathic uh, people who claim to be feminist or claim to be activists but they're just they're just not well and at various levels and they just play the game to play the game so like it's just important for us to to love ourselves and, and to also to have patience ourselves. for those people and I to have as much patience as we can until yeah. they cross the wrong boundaries and then we have the right to activistically say we need this community to not yeah. be undermined i remember i was talking to some students at my old high school at my gsa i came there for their 10th anniversary wow. and one of the i know right 10th anniversary yes i was like i'm like the khaleesi of gsa or something Uh, but i remember one of the students asked me like how do you deal with people that don't want to understand your you know your way of life or your queerness or the the choices that you have made in terms of how you want to represent yourself and my answer, quite frankly, was unless they're open to be educated, you don't deal with them. You let them have their own journey. And when they feel like the time is right for them to dip their toe into a different way of a different way of discovery, then, you know, be open as you can in terms of showing them how you have decided to live your truth but otherwise you know it's not too, it's not that deep yeah we aren't yeah. gonna get through 
we aren't going to get through to everyone in any given moment. And so, it's not our responsibility to either. No. Yeah. No. So truly, like, figure shit from, out for themselves. From the ins- yeah, yeah. From the inside out, the truth, our truth is our power. And we and don't have like all the answers either. No, like, our truth, the- our truth is our truth. Yeah. And very much it so. Is, it is specific to the discoveries that we have made in our own lives. And people yes. might come to different conclusions within their own life, and that's okay. And yes. neither is is right nor wrong. So I feel right. like regardless of where the pendulum swings for you, whether you're super queer or what you just here, love wearing uh, your beard and your or white t shirt and your jeans and Yeah, or that, you know, whatever the pendulum deep swings. Deep voice. That's, that's your it's thing. It's sexy for some of us and some of us wish you would get a little hey girl hey. But hey. Mm-hmm. Hey. We got our we got our journeys, amethyst and otherwise, and we thank you for listening to our spirited episode about the rainbow forms of activism. Thank you all for listening, and thank you, Sam, for being such a lovely and beautiful podcast partner for me. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. This has been so much fun. So excited to record more episodes with yes. you for our lovely and dedicated fans. We love you all. A, rain, a rainbow unicorns. Yeah. All right, Sam, Actually, shall we I want get to it out to the... Oh, oh yes. I, well, it's one little, one little thing, because uh, we are talking Ooh. about our fans. We have had, yes. I've had some feedback recently from... Ooh, final feedback. Yeah, I'm not going to say any of them verbatim, but I was very touched um to hear uh some of the people listening to us talking about how much they appreciated uh having these types of topics queer topics being discussed by queer people uh in a more casual way and i'm just i'm i'm over the moon that people have decided to tune in and listen to us and just spend you know 45 minutes to an hour as we discuss topics that are of interest to us and i i really hope that someone out there is enjoying this while they're on the treadmill yeah or in your morning commute wherever you are we absolutely we absolutely thank you and have i have such heartfelt gratitude for everyone who takes time to listen to a fairly queer podcast please hashtag that for your friends and and those you wish because i know sometimes there's a little bit of phonetical um finagling but that mm-hmm. fairly f-a-r-i-l-y a fairly wait weird i thought it was podcast. f-a-e-r yes it's f-a-e you said oh F-A-R. my god did i did i screw it up sam yeah you did all right <laughs> sam did exactly what the process is uh we 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 uh we edit each other with love so it is fairly f-a-e-r-i-l-y there it is sam you did it. Okay. I did it. Till the and next so, time. Sam, where can they, where can folks find you for extra good times? Oh, where can they find me? Yeah. Specifically? Yeah, well, at least on the interwebs. You can find me at Nuke Moth on Instagram. You can find my business page at Ram underscore, or no, Ramshine underscore leather. Also on Instagram. You can go to my website ramshine.com that's 
R-A-M-S-H-I-N-E.com. It'll redirect you directly to my Etsy page. And yeah, that's about it. That's the only places you can find me. How about you, Jeremy? Fabulous. Well, I am Orthic Apollo 777 at Twitter, by which I usually have some sort of inspirational quote. But my main office is Instagram at handsome Jeremy777, where you can get all sorts of exciting information, inspirational things, activistic things. Come and uh, just slide into my DMs. Be uh-huh. respectful, be compassionate, be curious, be flirtatious, but most of all, be your highest soul self yeah. for me when you slip into my DMs. But that's it. Um, and alaskanjeremy.com will have some information for Amethyst Journey. And um, I think that's all for now. Let's wrap it up, Sam. We got to go buy uh, peanuts for an elephant. We'll talk to you all later. All right. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.